Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In segment three, you're going to want to tune in for an amazing story. Josh George, he's a Paralympian who just returned from Beijing where he won gold and silver in the Beijing Paralympics. Josh is kind of like the Bo Jackson of Paralympians as he competes in wheelchair racing, basketball, and marathons. He's competed in the Chicago and New York marathons. He was paralyzed from the chest down after falling out of a 12th floor window at the age of four. This is the story you're going to want to listen to. That's coming up in segment three. In segment four, Tim Kuhn. He's with ESPN the magazine. He's a senior writer. You can also find him on ESPN.com. He is the author of Texas Rangers star Josh Hamilton's new autobiography, Beyond Belief. But he's going to join me to discuss the possibility that sports owners will no longer be able to turn to taxpayers to fund their sports venues in light of the downturn our economy has seen recently. And in light of the credit crunch, we may see the construction of new sports venues in this country come to a grinding halt. We'll discuss that with Tim Kuhn from ESPN in segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm joined in studio by Nathan Roach. Nathan, at the beginning of the Major League Baseball playoffs, there were some big teams, big brands. Two Chicago teams, the White Sox and the Cubs, the Angels and Dodgers from L.A., the Red Sox, the Phillies. Now we know the Phillies are in, in the ALCS. What an amazing comeback by the Red Sox on Thursday night, down 7 nothing. They've extended the ALCS. Fox executives are hitting their knees praying that the Red Sox bring Red Sox Nation to the ALCS into the World Series. Otherwise, it's going to be Rays Phillies, and that's probably going to set the all-time worst ratings for TV for the World Series. Well, they're they're clean by fingernails right now. What they'd seen at the beginning of the season was so much potential for huge ratings. If you had a Boston Chicago Cubs World Series, it doesn't really get much better than that. And so now they're really holding their breath that tonight the Red Sox can hang on and push it to a Game Seven. So we will talk more with headlines. Our friend Pac-Man Jones is uh, back in the headlines again. Kudos to NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell. He did the right thing that Jerry Jones wouldn't do, the owner of the Cowboys. We'll let you know more about that. Coming up next in headlines, you're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center, 
passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headlines brought to you by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, the Major League Baseball playoffs. The Philadelphia Phillies are in to the World Series. We're still waiting to see who gets in from the American League after Boston's miraculous comeback on Thursday night. Down 7 to nothing in that game. Second biggest comeback in postseason history. Down seven runs in a game. Nathan Fox is hitting their knees, as we said in segment one, praying that the Red Sox get in because Red Sox Nation is certainly a lot more powerful than the following of the Tampa Bay Rays. The Rays are a great story. The worst record in all of Major League Baseball last year, $43 million payroll. If they get to the World Series, what a great story. But if you're the Fox executives, you don't care about a great story. You want eyeballs, and Boston-Philly brings a lot more eyeballs than Philly-Tampa. Well, whenever we talk about big ratings on this show, it's the ratings are as a result of the casual fan, the fan that tunes in, who knows the teams like the Chicago Cubs, like the Boston Red Sox. We're sports fans, Brian, and we know that Tampa's had a phenomenal season. they got a great team, like you just mentioned, worst record last year. Now they're a great team. So we'll watch because we know Tampa Bay. But the casual guy flipping through the channels is not likely to stop on Tampa and Philly. They're likely to stop on the Red Sox. Now the interesting thing is, don't forget, Fox and TBS swapped from last year. So last year TBS had the NLCS and Fox had the ALCS. So the ratings this year... For Fox are down, Phillies-Dodgers are down from what Red Sox-Indians were last year. But TBS is very happy because TBS has Red Sox-Rays. Those ratings are up 40% from last year's D-backs-Rockies World Series, which had terrible, epically bad NLCS ratings, league championship ratings. So the one thing that was a really tough pill for Fox to swallow is Game 5, the clincher. For the Reds or for the Phillies, had to go up against the presidential debate, which drew 63 million viewers and got a 36.2 rating. So most people were watching the presidential debate. Very few were watching outside of the Philadelphia, LA area. Well, and that's a case again where they look at it and they say, "Had the Chicago Cubs been in that game, would the ratings have been different?" I, I'm a Cubs fan. I'm also in tune with what's going on in the presidential election. I likely would have tuned out the third debate and watched the Cubs, and I think a lot of other casual sports fans would have as well. Our next headline, Major League Soccer. The MLS announced this week that seven prospective ownership groups from the United States and Canada submitted an application for an MLS expansion team. That was by Wednesday's 5 p.m. deadline. The market-seeking MLS teams are Atlanta, Miami, Montreal, Ottawa, Portland, St. Louis, and Vancouver. The MLS Expansion Committee and League Office will review the applications and select two teams by the first quarter of 2009. The teams are tentatively scheduled to debut during the 2011 season. We're based in Portland, Oregon. I know a lot of people here in Portland would love to see MLS. I think one of the franchises will be awarded to either Portland or Vancouver in British Columbia. And by the way, Steve Nash of the Suns is behind the Vancouver effort because he's from... uh, Uh, Victoria, which is near Vancouver. I would also look for either Atlanta or Miami to get the other. So I think Canada will get one. And so it'll either be Montreal, Ottawa, or Vancouver. And then 
you've got Portland, which I think has a good chance for the other one. Well, Portland's been often called Soccer City USA. In many regards, you have the University of Portland pilots who have numerous national championships, and there's a lot of big soccer programs up here in the Northwest, plus Portland only has one professional sports team in the Trailblazers. I think it'd be a phenomenal city to get MLS. Our next headline, tennis legend Andre Agassi has ended his business relationship with his longtime agent and lifelong friend Perry Rogers, the star's company, confirmed in a statement released this week after weeks of speculation in the industry that the two had parted ways. That happened this week. Steve Miller, who represents Agassiz's charitable foundation, is a former Nike executive, is going to take over running Agassiz's enterprises along with Steffi Graf's enterprises for now. And we'll see if uh, Agassiz tries to find a replacement for Perry Rogers. Rogers also represents Sun Center Shaquille O'Neal. This is a big breakup because these guys had really built Agassiz's image. You know, we've seen Agassi do things with Nike, with Canon. He's with Adidas now. But this is a guy who's had a lot of endorsements. He's got one of the most successful charitable foundations of any athlete ever. And Perry Rogers was a big part of that. Oh, absolutely. From day one, Perry Rogers was on board. And we've seen this in the last five years. We've seen Agassi have two major breakups in that Nike you just mentioned. And now Perry Rogers, he's kind of going a different direction with his image and his endorsement and marketing. Our next headline, this is an interesting one. Democratic presidential candidate Barack Obama has become the first presidential candidate to buy ad space inside of a video game. This according to the AP. Nine video games from Electronic Arts, including Madden 2009 and Burnout Paradise, feature in-game ads from the Obama campaign. The ads, which appear on billboards and other signage, remind players that early voting has begun and plug a campaign website. Obama's ads are aimed at gamers who like sports, including NASCAR, the NBA, NHL, and skateboarding. EA Corporate Communications Director Holly Rockwood would not say how much the ads cost, but she said they are running on Microsoft's Xbox Live versions of the game through November 3rd. The ads beginning began running earlier this month. This is very creative. We've seen what Obama has done by utilizing the Internet and texting people to their cell phones or handheld devices. This is another way that the Obama campaign has thought outside the box, not only utilizing sports, but utilizing the millions of gamers who are out there. I mean, just Madden 09 alone has plenty of eyeballs. Well, have we ever seen a presidential campaign that's used this many different mediums? You've got Facebook, like you just mentioned, and now video games. It makes me wonder what's next, the next presidential election, what kinds of creative ways... Are, are these candidates going to be campaigning? I mean, you're hitting the gamers with video games. That's fascinating to me. Well, Obama has definitely raised the bar as far as technology is concerned this election. All right. Our good friend Pac-Man Jones, he was caught in the crosslights last week for the first time in the almost five-year history of sports business radio. We have back-to-back caught in the crosslights with the same athlete. For an in-depth analysis of the week's PR nightmare, Sports Business Radio presents Caught in the Crosslights. Crosslights. Well, I can't give Pac-Man Jones all the credit here. I think Jerry Jones, the owner of the Cowboys, needs to also be caught in the crosslights here. We told you last week that Pac-Man Jones was doing an appearance, and at the appearance he had too much to drink, and he got into a scuffle with his own bodyguard. And it spilled into a women's restroom. A mirror was broken, and it was highly publicized. 
Well, Pac-Man Jones had only been reinstated into the NFL 41 days later. This after 13 different things, run-ins with the law, if you will. Jerry Jones chose not to suspend him. He played last week, Pac-Man Jones did, against the Cardinals. Good for NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, who this week suspended Pac-Man Jones indefinitely, at least for four games. But I think Pac-Man Jones may have played his last NFL game. I think Roger Goodell is going to make it very difficult for Pac-Man Jones to get back into the league. He was on thin ice to begin with. But Nathan... This is yet another example of an owner enabling a star athlete. We've seen Arthur Blank do it with Michael Vick. We've seen Al Davis do it with people, and Al Davis is a, is a crazy guy to begin with. And we've seen Jerry Jones do it with Michael Irvin and other players, and now with Pac-Man Jones. And I think it's great that Roger Goodell used his hammer, took the keys away to the car, so to speak, from Jerry Jones and said, you got this one wrong. I'm suspending him. Back to back with Pac-Man Jones. Usually we give Morton's gift cards to our SportsSense guests, our classy guests. Maybe we send Pac-Man Jones a McDonald's gift card or something like that because have we, I mean, has there ever been a guy, not just back to back, ever been a guy that's been caught in the cross lights more than Pac-Man Jones on this show? I would just be afraid if we sent him anywhere that he would make it rain and he'd cause problems for whatever uh, restaurant he went into. So I don't think I'd want to send Pac-Man Jones anywhere. All right, coming up next, Josh George. He's an amazing Paralympian. He's got an amazing story just back from the Paralympics in Beijing. Don't miss that interview. That's coming up next right here on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. This is Sports Business Radio. My guest is Josh George. Josh is 24 years old. He's a Paralympian who won gold in the 100 and silver in the 800 a few weeks ago in Beijing. He's also America's top marathoner. Josh, amazing story you have, and thanks for taking some time to share it with us on Sports Business Radio. Not a problem, Brian. Thank you for having me on. When you were four years old, you fell out of your bedroom window in your family's 12th floor apartment in Virginia. The impact of the drop dislocated your hips, broke your ribs, punctured a lung, shattered both of your thigh bones, and left you paralyzed from the chest down. Just to survive that fall, Josh, takes a pretty tough customer. Yeah, oh, definitely. And I I, I definitely lucked out that I, I landed upright on my feet. I mean, if I think if I landed any other way... Uh, we, we probably would have had a different outcome there. 
So, I mean, I, I've read some stories about you, and, you know, you've known since you were little that you wanted to be an athlete. That's something you wanted to do. And, and you know, everything I've read about you, you're kind of uh, the Bo Jackson of Paralympians. I mean, you're a real all-around athlete. You compete in track and field, marathon racing. You're on the basketball team. Um, how much do you train for these sports, and how did you get motivated to participate in the sports that you're participating in? Well, I'm I'm constantly training, and it, it's it's sort of been like that from the from the start, from the very beginning. I was I was competing in multiple sports throughout the year, and so it's just something that from when I was a kid, it just it was natural to me to be to be training for more than one thing at the same time. And um, sort of as I as I grew older, it just uh, I was just a, a time management thing. I figured out how to do it, and especially in in when I was uh, competing in college for the University of Illinois. You know, I was just balancing the day between basketball practice in the morning, class in the afternoon, and then uh, track practice or uh, racing practice uh, in the early evening. Which sport do you enjoy the most? <laughs> that's that's a trick question right there. <laughs> it depends on the season. You ask, me, you ask me whatever sport I'm doing at the time, that's my favorite. So I want to talk for a moment about the Paralympics in Beijing. Many of us watch the regular Olympics on TV on NBC. Unfortunately, uh, you know, I wasn't able to watch the Paralympics on TV. Um, give me a sense. You know, I talked to people who were there. They said all the events were sold out. The Bird's Nest, 90,000 people. It was general admission, so you could, you know, find your own seat and sit in the front row if you wanted. What was it like to be competing in Beijing? Oh, it was absolutely insane. I had never had that many people come to watch me do anything before. I never imagined that I would ever have that many people come to watch, watch uh, an event like that. And it was, I mean, it was incredible. You're out there before you race and the 90,000 people are doing the wave around the stadium and screaming their heads off. And it just, it gets you amped up and ready to go. What did you think of the bird's nest? I mean, you'd probably seen it on TV before you went there, but uh, it was probably nothing like it being there in person. Oh man, the bird's nest is surreal. When you're working out on the warm-up track and looking up at the thing, you you got to pinch yourself to to make sure that you're not dreaming that this amazing structure is there. Um, and then when you go inside and you just you look up and it's just a sea of people. I mean, it's from all angles. The bird's nest was incredible. So explain to our audience when you're competing in these marathons. What's your setup? I mean, you're in, in the chair. Is it a specially designed chair? Uh, explain how that works for you. Right. I'm in, when I'm racing, I'm in a, a custom-built uh, racing wheelchair, and it's a, a long um, three-wheeled chair. Um, sort of looks like a, a, a drag racer where, you know, the front wheel is um, a small 20-inch wheel, and the, the two back wheels that you're sitting between are, are larger wheels. Um, and so I'm sitting in a crouched position uh, in between the two back wheels and, and just chugging along. Josh, you know, again, reading about you, your upper body strength is phenomenal. I mean, you're a guy who weighs less than 100 pounds, and you can bench 220, 230 pounds. Talk about some of the training you do to keep your upper body strength what it is. Well, a lot of a lot of the training is just uh, chair time, just getting in, getting in the racing chair and pounding it out and, you know, in the off season, we have some pretty intense uh, lifting workouts that you know we're in the gym three or four days a week doing the lifting workouts on top of on top of our stuff in our racing chairs. So I mean, it's just it's just constant work. And you know, for me, I'm I'm in a chair. I I basically am walking on my hands. So 
um, that's you constantly using your arms. You're bound to get strong. How many hours a day do you, would you say you train on average? Oh, I train anywhere from you know two to two to five hours a day, depending on what what point in the season we're in. And what do you like to do when you're not training? I would imagine, you know, I don't know if you know who Dick and Rick Hoyt are. I've had Dick Hoyt on the show before, and you know, they go around and they do a number of motivational. Uh, speaking engagements. Do you do any motivational speaking engagements? Because I would imagine you have an incredible story to tell. I yeah, I, I do some speaking engagements. Um, not not really on the motivational side, but I do some do some speaking for um for some sponsors and um and then I I uh, I like to to work with um children's uh, sports programs as well. I do you know whenever I can get in and, and work with some kids in in uh, wheelchairs. That's that's what I'm doing. That's great. Hey, let's talk about the corporate side of this for a moment. I mean, Paralympics, they don't get the corporate support that maybe the regular Olympics does or some other entities. And I know, you know, people like you are really trying to put some of these events and some of these sports on the map. Maybe talk about the challenges of attracting corporate sponsors for a moment. Well, it's it's definitely hard to get corporate sponsors just because um, wheelchair racing – as a sport is something in this country that is, you know, it's, it's relatively underground. You don't, not many people really know that it exists and at, at the level that it exists at. Um, so the, the biggest challenge is um, showing people that we are elite athletes, that we, we are top-notch international elite athletes um, and we're, we're participating in an elite sport. And then that's, Basically, once once you show them that, once you get them on board with that, it, it becomes a little bit easier. So, how do you show them? I mean, is it as simple as just inviting someone to a race, or is it? Do you send them a promotional kit? How do you try and get them on board with what you're doing? Well, the the biggest thing is probably through my website, um, joshsgeorge.com, um, because you know there we have I have film clips of um, of marathon finishes and other races, and you really. It really need you really need to see it to believe it. Um, and once you watch a race, and once you watch what we're doing at the end of a, a 26 mile race when we're we're um, sprinting to the finish with six or seven guys around us, that's once you see that, that's that's when you understand what type of sport it really is. Can you talk about some of your sponsors that you've lined up already? Do you have corporate support right now? Uh, that's I'm working on that right now. I have um, an equipment sponsor. Um, Eagle Sports Chairs, based out of uh, just out of Snellville, Georgia, um, and then I, I do some work for some uh, Paralympic sponsors, um, namely the the Hartford. Um, and currently, I'm working with uh, my manager to get some more uh, corporate sponsors on top of those. Before I let you go, I see you have a journalism degree from the University of Illinois. Uh, any aspirations to be a media person or to put that degree to work? <laughs> I'm working on that. I'm working on that right now. I got a few ideas floating around my head for maybe some some uh, some book ideas, um, but uh, we'll we'll see what happens along those lines. I do enjoy writing and would like to exercise uh, some of those options. Last question for you. You know, there's people listening to our show struggling with their own lives right now, and you're a real inspiration. You have such an incredible story. What words of advice do you have for those people who are trying to summon up more strength to continue to persevere? Well, what I, what I like to tell people is to really focus on what you can do um, because most of the time what you can do so grossly outweighs what you can't do that all you need to do is really just sit down and, and, and think about it. 
Um, when people are having problems, they're just they're putting too much emphasis on what's going wrong and what they can't do rather than what's going right and what they can do. So give a plug for your website one more time. Check it out, uh, joshsgeorge.com, and you'll find information about uh, my, my life and wheelchair racing and then clips of, of races that I've been in. Josh, thank you so much for taking time on Sports Business Radio to talk to us this week. Brian, thank you for having me. Man. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Tim and He's the senior writer for ESPN the Magazine. You can also find him online at ESPN.com. Tim, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. I'm glad to be here, Brian. Thank you. So you wrote a column recently on, uh, I think it was on page two on ESPN.com, discussing the fact that with the economy struggling like it is, we may have seen the last days of sports venues being funded with taxpayer dollars. I want to take a few minutes to discuss that with you. Let's talk about New York for a minute. I mean, the Yankees and the Mets open new ballparks next year, and these are ballparks that were funded largely with taxpayer money, right? That's correct, and as is customary in these types of uh, deals, they went way over budget and ended up costing the taxpayers way more than they bargained for. I mean, is this a case where taxpayers, you know, they really don't know what hit them? In other words, when these budgets are overrun, you know, how do you feel that if you're a taxpayer? Well, I think the, you know, I I think it's the, the way it works is that the owners appeal to the politicians and the politicians appeal to the to the voters, and, and it ends up being this sort of civic duty thing where people feel that in order to keep their team or keep their team happy or keep their team able to spend millions of dollars on free agents, that it's their obligation to be part of this. And, and in reality, what it is is a, a huge, expensive toy for multimillionaires or sometimes billionaires. These guys get sweetheart deals and not only do the fans pay for it in the front end but on the back end once these places are built the ticket prices go up concessions go up everything becomes more expensive yeah i mean you talk about the indianapolis colts new stadium beautiful stadium but they went over budget too by i think what 20 million dollars that the the taxpayers are going to have that bill to pay off so you know there's another example of you know the colts very successful organization very popular in indianapolis but do the taxpayers really want to absorb that overrun for the long term? Um, the Cowboys, they're building 
a new facility. They've gone over budget. Is this going to end, or are we going to see uh, this continue with sports teams turning to taxpayers and saying, please bail me out? Well, Brian, I think my, my point is that it, it seems with all the attention that the whole credit crisis has gotten and the banking crisis and all this, uh, the public money that's being used to, to bail out banks and so forth. I mean, you look at that and you see the public outcry over that. Well, really, it's it's just a, a large-scale version of what sports owners have been doing for years, which is getting the public to pay their debts, essentially, to play, you know, to get stadiums for their for their teams. And I think that with the attention that this has garnered, it seems logical for me for people to say, wait, next time this kind of thing comes up, we're going to say no. I mean, we're going to say, look, you guys deal with what you have, use your own money, or fix up what you've got. We're, we're just, you know, we've got more important things to deal with. And I think that that we've all been, those of us who care about these things have probably been waiting for that day for a long time. And the fact that this huge crisis has hit us seems to be the logical point where a lot of uh, feet will be uh, stomped, I guess, and said, no, that's enough. I, you know, I won't take it anymore. And I think that, you know, if it doesn't happen now, it may never happen because, you know, when we talk about logic, and there's no logic when it comes to people rooting for their teams and 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 saying that they'll do whatever they can for their teams. You know, it's 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 not like a we don't we don't look at sports owners the way we do the CEO of uh, of AIG or something. But really, there's there's not that much difference. You know, it's interesting in sports. There always seems to be that one owner, Tom Hicks the Steinbrenner family, whoever it is that will pay that outrageous sum of money to sign the athlete. Well, in sports, it also seems like there's that one city that will make the ridiculous deal and roll out the red carpet to attract the team. Oklahoma City just did it with the Thunder. Las Vegas has been out with their hand extended for a number of years. Kansas City has a venue that sits largely empty. Is there always going to be a city, Tim, that says, hey, if you're not wanted in your city, we'll take you over here and give you a sweetheart deal? I don't know. I mean, I think that those days are sort of dwindling. I know that if you look at I, – I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, and there are two instances here where the San Francisco 49ers are trying to get a better stadium and move down the peninsula to Santa Clara, and they've met a lot of resistance on that front from both city officials and and the, the voting public. Not that it hasn't gone to a vote yet, but there is I, – I don't think it would pass if it did – um, there's land use issues, there's traffic issues, you know, there's, it's sort of this perfect storm of, of not only cost issues, but the, the traffic issues and, and access, you know, the Oakland A's want to move to Fremont, which is, which is really sort of a complete reversal of what most teams have done and been successful, which is most teams have gone into underutilized urban areas and revitalized areas with sports stadiums. And, and there've been a lot of Really, you know, there have been a lot of good that has come of that in Denver, San Francisco, um, places that have been revitalized through a sports facility. But what the A's are trying to do is go to a a suburb, you know, that does not have mass transit access, and they're asking for a lot of land and a lot of concessions. And you know, they may not they may not make that happen, and they're they're throwing out the the idea that if it doesn't happen there, then it'll happen in another state. Well, where? You know, I don't. I really don't know where that would happen right now. I mean, I don't think baseball would approve Las Vegas. 
you know, Portland has always been one of those outlying cities that people have talked about, but I, I don't I don't sense it happening there. I think the people in many ways are too progressive to, to say yes to something like that if it was going to cost them a significant amount of money. So I, I do think that it's the, the allure of that. I think there's been a lot of reporting and a lot of common sense been thrown about in the last 10 years that tells people that you really don't get what they tell you you're going to get when you build one of these stadiums. I'm joined by Tim Kuhn. He's a senior writer for ESPN the magazine. You can also find him online at ESPN.com. So, Tim, you know, you just talked about the A's. Um, I read today about the soon-to-be, maybe one day, Brooklyn Nets. Bruce Ratner, his project is failing. And if they don't get that thing off the ground by November 1st, then the $400 million naming rights deal they have with Barclays could go away. I'm wondering... How many of these deals could go sour, and if they go sour, might we see some teams, whether it's in baseball or basketball, try and relocate to another city? I think they, I think they could, Brian, but I think that there's, you know, you, you bring up naming rights. That's another issue that you look at, at companies right now. I mean, the advertising is down in the media, and, and, and obviously disposable dollars are down in terms of what these companies can pay. And if you look at the the companies that are generally in line to do these naming rights deals are, you know, their banks or their financial institutions. A lot of them, um, you know, there there are some some uh, a lot of software or Silicon Valley type companies. But I think that that is another revenue stream that might might be drying up, and and in turn, you know, taking some of the leverage away from these owners who are able to add on to what they already get from taxpayers in terms of, of, of revenue. I think that, that all of that is going to sort of come together for maybe teams not going anywhere, just sort of making do with what they have for a while. Let's say you're the Maloofs and you own the Sacramento Kings in your neck of the woods. And, you know, the credit crisis has, you know, really bared down on a lot of people here. And you can't get taxpayer money. That thing has gotten shot down again and again. But you also, the credit crisis makes it harder for you to borrow money. What are you to do? Well, I think that they seem to be doing well enough with what they have with their different entities. I mean, if they have the money to actually invest into into a stadium the way that they would in a, a casino, I mean, if it is that good of a business deal for the taxpayers, why isn't it that good of a business deal for the Maloofs? You know, if they if they can... If they can ask for $700 million from the taxpayers, why can't they put their $700 million on there if, if they feel that it's a good deal? You know, I mean, that's, that's kind of the question that, that, that needs to be asked is you, you're asking them to build something. Essentially, you're asking uh, the public to build uh, a, a manufacturing plant for you, essentially. I mean, this is their, 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 where they play their sport, where their team, where their business takes place. And I think that, you know, if you're the Maloofs, you might just say, well, why don't we see what we can do with where we have? Yeah, that the, the Arco Arena is not the Taj Mahal of sports basketball arenas. I mean, that, that that's part of the problem is that these have all gotten bigger and better and every guy looks at it and says, well, if so-and-so did that for this guy, why won't they do it for me? But I think that the Maloofs and people like that might have to sit tight and see where where we where this all shakes out before they they go around and uh, trying to make their case because it's a it's a tough case to make right now. You know, I've had a lot of owners on this show, and I've had people who run big companies. I am in Portland, Oregon, 
and Nike is world headquartered here. And people from Nike, people who own these teams will tell you that our teams provide jobs and they have a big economic impact on this economy. And if we were to leave, then the economic impact would diminish and jobs would go away. So I guess that's where they see the benefit of, you know, the taxpayers helping share the the bill, so to speak. I don't buy it. I, I see things as you do. But, you know, I think that's where the owners are coming from. Oh, it definitely is. And, and there have been many studies that have been able to refute many of those arguments. Obviously, there are some jobs created. Um, you know, it's a, it's a much more difficult case to make for a football team because there are 10 or so dates a year. Um, most of the jobs created, as you know, are part-time and seasonal and, and, and low-paying. Um, there have also been many studies that say that, that there's sort of a finite amount of disposable income that goes toward entertainment and that people will, in general, spend the same amount, um, whether it's on a professional baseball team or movies or whatever, that that money will eventually make its way through the system. I mean, that, that, that has been sort of argued and debated for, for years, that whole idea, but, but many, many studies have sort of made that case that the difference is not that huge. I mean, I think if you were in, say, St. Louis or Cincinnati or something, I think those baseball teams bring in a lot of outside money from people who travel a long way to go to you know, a, a weekend series once a year. But in general, I think that the, the amount of the jobs argument is, is not a strong one. I think that the, the revenue argument is a strong one if you are, such as the San Francisco Giants, you're paying your own way. I mean, I think that's a good thing for the city because they've brought a lot of revenue into the city that without the, the outlay that some of these other places have had to put in with the, with the taxpayer-funded stadium. So it's interesting. I mean, just from this conversation and, you know, from your column on ESPN.com, you know, it seems like we could see the new construction of sports venues, at least in the United States, kind of come to a a grinding halt. I see the NBA announced this week that they're going to build several facilities in China. But in the United States, we might be seeing the slowing of sports venues. I think I think so, Brian. I mean, I think if it makes sense, I think people will do it if there's, you know, certain, you know, requirements on the owners. But I think it's what what's happened in the last two months is, is just created a, an atmosphere where people are going to ask questions and they're not going to automatically see it as their civic duty to build some a, a Taj Mahal for some team that that needs, you know, that that just because they root for the team. You know, I think that there's a more skeptical look at how people are using money and what our money is being used for right now. And I would think that way down the list at this point would be professional sports franchises. Well, I live in the perfect city for that. Portland, Oregon, as you were saying, pretty progressive city. And they basically have the if you build it, we will come philosophy. If you want to build the the venue, we'll come support your team. We'll watch the games, but we're not going to foot the bill on that. And that's one of the reasons why this is the largest market in the United States with only one sports team, the Portland Trailblazers. Hey, before I let you go, you've got a new book out. It's called Beyond Belief. It's about Josh Hamilton. I think he's got a great story. Where can people find that book and tell us a little bit about it? Well, Brian, it's uh, it's a collaboration that I did with Josh. It's it's Josh's autobiography, and it is uh, it's not so much a baseball book as it is a life book. As everyone probably is familiar with Josh's story, he 
was a can't-miss kid out of high school, the number one draft pick in 1999, and ended up through a series of, of situations that are well-documented in the book. Josh ended up uh, turning to drugs and being out of baseball for three and a half years. Um, ended up amazingly as a, as, a, as a crack addict. I mean, as somebody who was very, very far gone uh, and ended up turning his life around and doing it with through his faith and through his the support of people around him. And I think everyone sort of knows the thumbnail version of Josh's story, but the book is, is very detailed and it's very much a uh, no holds barred. I mean, Josh was very honest with me about his story and, and very uh, forthright about all the mistakes he made. And, and it's, it's I'd, you know, I'd like to think it's very compelling because his story is compelling and the fact that he was willing to be so honest with me was was really something that I think will sort of separate this book and, and his story from the from the run of the mill you know sports autobiography. Well, I look forward to reading it. He had an MVP type season. We all remember the home run derby and the amazing display he put on there. But you know, you've written some stories about him in the past in the magazine, and really his on the field accomplishments pale in comparison to what he's done to turn his life around. Hey, Tim, thank you so much for making time for us this week on Sports Business Radio. My pleasure, Brian. Thank you. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Evergreen Green Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training, monitoring, and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. We are back with our final segment on this edition of Sports Business Radio. The NFL confirmed this week that the face value of Super Bowl tickets will reach $1,000 for the first time for the 2009 game in Tampa. Only 25% of the tickets will reach the $1,000 mark. The league also announced that it would drop the price of 1,000 tickets by $200 to $500. That's the first time the league has cut prices for a Super Bowl. 75% of the tickets will be priced at $800. That's a total of about 53,000 tickets. So if you're going to look for a ticket to the Super Bowl, those are your prices for this year's game. Our other story before we wrap up this week, rapper Marshall Eminem Mathers has teamed with Nike on a special edition of the Jordan brand shoe. The Way I Am Air Jordan 2. It's the one-off super limited edition sneaker. It's a tie-in with Eminem's upcoming book of the same name. It's the second collaboration with Eminem and the Jordan brand. Nike will produce 313 pairs, and all proceeds will be donated 
to the Marshall Mathers Foundation, which helps underprivileged youth in Michigan. Interesting pairing there. You know, I've seen Eminem in some of his videos wearing the Jordan brand logo, which is obviously very identifiable, and uh, it's no surprise to see the two entities teaming up again. A lot of thank yous on our show this week. Tim Kewen from ESPN the Magazine. Make sure to get his book, Beyond Belief, the autobiography of uh, Josh Hamilton of the Texas Rangers. I'm a big Josh Hamilton fan with everything he's overcome, so I'm looking forward to reading that book. Josh George, what an incredible story. What an incredible young man, 24 years old. He's overcome so much. So happy he had a chance to take time to talk to us this week. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Training. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. I'm Brian Berger. Have a tremendous week. Enjoy the World Series, and we will talk to you next week right here on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. (laughs) Or at sportsbusinessradio.com.